morning, everybody. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Uh, my name, if you're new to us, my name is David Hurtado. I'm the uh, lead pastor here, and uh, so excited you are here with us, especially if you're a guest. I do this thing every week where I kind of hang out in the patio and uh, meet people. So uh, don't be a stranger uh, after service. That's why you have donuts and coffee there, uh, hospitality stuff there to kind of hang out and chat a little bit and uh, be family together. So I will be there. I'd love to be able to meet you. In fact, uh, hopefully in your program you have one of these. Did you see these yet? Uh, these are our kind of our kind of promotion for Easter. Hopefully, you grab one, two, or fifteen, and uh, invite your friends and family. Uh, those people God's put in your life right now that maybe don't have a place to go for Easter. I'd love for you to grab it, utilize it. Uh, one of the first things I did when I got here was kind of insist that uh, that we kind of upgrade our game as it relates to the hospitality, the you know the donuts and the coffee and that kind of thing. And and some of you enjoyed that, yeah. You like that? You like yeah? Maybe okay, yeah. Maybe a little bit, yeah. And so. So, and the whole reason is just to get people to hang out and, and be together. And, and get really, uh, you can imagine if you're a guest to our church and you're here for the first time, oh, it's kind of nice. You can chat over something, have some donuts, and have some coffee together. And that's really why we do it, kind of uh, the first touch for our guests who might be coming in and looking for a church. And I actually wanted to bring that up, especially today, because we have some needs as it relates to hospitality. Um, they came to me and said, we don't have enough volunteers, so we have to close this down at the end of second service before people get out. I thought, man, I really don't want to do that. I really like people being able to, you know, have coffee together, have some donuts together. And so I bring that up because I don't know, maybe you're looking for a place to connect here at Camarillo Community Church, a place to serve, and that might be the spot for you to do it. Maybe God's calling you to do that. For my part, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be part of the solution. So I'll be on the patio. If you're chatting with me and I notice that they need help, I'm going to say, Would you, can I enlist you to come with me? Maybe I'll fold up a table with you and we'll do it together. And we'll do that together until we find some more uh, volunteers to help us out in that realm. Can you help me with that? So if you see me and I'm talking to you, I'm going, I still love you, but I just need you to grab some donuts and bring it to the, uh, to the kitchen with me, and uh, we'll, we'll get our, 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 uh, our issue solved there and still be able to have that front door that we want towards our guest. Uh, I still remember the day that I asked Meredith to marry me. Um, I, I especially remember, uh, you know, like this week and my wife's out of town and I'm like daddy daycare and I'm cooking and cleaning and everything, and I really appreciate my wife. <laughs> on weekends like this a lot more. Like right now, I'm thinking, okay, get through the message, and what are you making for lunch? <laughs> anyway, so I still remember the day I asked my wife to marry me. I, I don't, if you've been there, hopefully you look back on that in your life and you think of it fondly. <laughs> like the day that you asked her or the day that you were asked, and you think, man, that's a beautiful picture in my mind. It's supposed to be perfect. If you haven't gotten there yet and you're still waiting, you probably idealize the whole process in your brain. Like, it's going to be a perfect day. It's not going to rain. You, you know what I mean? I'm going to get all green lights. You know, it's, it's going to be perfect because that's the way it's supposed to work when you get asked to be married or when you ask somebody to marry you. Uh, hopefully you remember it fondly. I've told you guys before that I'm not, oh, how do I say this? The, the, whole, the whole dating scene, I wasn't Mr. GQ. I wasn't very good at that. Much better at being married than, than the whole dating scene, the engagement problem. I, was just, I, was just, I, just, I stunk at all that stuff. And this case in point uh, was a situation that's supposed to look beautiful and it didn't work out so beautifully and it's partly because I just, I'm lame when it comes to that stuff. I had this rule that I wasn't going to tell any woman that wasn't my wife that I love her. 
or that I wasn't engaged to, I wasn't going to tell her I love her. So here, I'm married that's falling in love with me, and I won't tell her that I love her because I have this rule, speaking of legalism, I have this rule that you're not supposed to tell anybody that you love. And what I didn't realize is love grows. And so even if I, if I say to my wife today, I love you so much, that carries more weight than when I said it when we were married year one. Because it grows. And so even the way I feel about her today and that love has grown so much to where if I look back at that year one and go, man, that's kind of silly, that, that word that I used back then. You know what I mean? But I had this rule, so I wasn't allowed to tell her that I, that I loved her. And so she's wondering, you know, what, what's going on? You know, you know how's that all going to work out? Am I falling in love with a man who doesn't love me? And then I had this other idea that, that when you ask somebody to marry, that it should be a surprise. And so uh, because we were so close and, and, you know, she could tell it's coming, I thought, man, how am I going to make this a surprise? I know. I've got an idea. You can get in a big old fight with her the week before. <laughs> yeah, fellas, don't do that. Not recommended. Not recommended. Uh, so I proceeded to get in this big fight, like a breakup type level fight, with the ring in my pocket. It's right there a week before. It's in my pocket. And I'm going to get in this big old fight. And then she'll never guess it's coming. And you're right. She never did guess it's coming because she was about to break up with you. She prayed to Jesus, God, take him out of my life. Is that the one? And I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want her to do that. But I just wanted it to be a surprise. I told you I wasn't very good at this whole, this whole, much better at being married than I ever was at being single and the whole dating, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, the next week, I, you know, decided that I'm going to uh, ask her to marry me in front of our students. I was a middle school pastor. We had a hundred some odd students, larger church, actually in the L.A. area. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was going to do this cups and ball tricks for six months. Have you ever seen cups and balls, three cups, and balls, and you move them, where's the ball now type of thing? And I practiced for six months on this cups. It's all sleight of hand, you know, moving the balls, and you think it's here, but it's over here type of thing. And then the idea was at the very end, I would, if I could do it fast enough, I could take a ring, put it into the cup, and where she thinks the ball is going to be, it's going to unveil and it'd be, a, it'd, be a, it'd be a ring. And so the whole thing goes, and I have volunteers come up, when it's students, 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 and then all of a sudden I go, okay, Meredith, why don't you come up? They have Meredith come up, and I produce this ring, and I get on one knee, and I, you know, I, I have this whole speech laid out, which I forgot all of it. You know, here, here I, I speak for a living, but when I, when I asked my wife to marry her, all that came out of my mouth is, I love you, and will you marry me? And I had this whole speech, but just, you know, and I love you, and by the way, I've never said I love you to her, so it sounded like it's, I love you. Because it felt so, I'm not, you know, it's like the first week after you get married and you have to call, this is my wife. And so you can't, you can't say it because it's like you haven't, you know, my wife. we're on this cruise together, my wife, you know. Anyway, I love you and will you marry me, you know. And, uh, you know, one of the best days of my life, she said yes, and, uh, and, and, and we did get married 16 years later. But this is one of those situations where that question requires a response. Can you imagine with me for a second, if I would have got down on my knee, I love you, and will you marry me, and she would be like, well, mm, yeah, on that one, Give me five minutes. Can, can you imagine if she said no? Can you imagine if she, you know, even if she stays silent and walks away? Everybody in the room would be like, yeah, I don't think that's the response that he was going for. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't know. Maybe you're one of those marriages right now where it's like, yeah, I said no, and then we got back to the, and we're happily married. But I think that's kind of rare. I think once you like, the, pop the question on a knee kind of thing, it, it's response time. Right, right, wrong, or indifferent, it is response time. You must give a, you gotta, you gotta say where you're at. It's like, it's like no more apathy, no more wishy-washy. It is now response time. It is time to declare yourself. 
I love you, got on one knee, will you spend the rest of your life with me? And now it's your, do you, re, do, you, do, do you feel the same way? You have to give a response. There's some things in life, some times in life, some situations in life where a definite response is required. And that's kind of where we find ourselves today in our text. It is response time. It is response time. Um, Mark goes out of his way in the book of Mark to give all these stories. And you got to remember, two audiences in mind. One audience is the very audience right in front of Jesus while he's doing all these actions. And, 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 and Mark is saying they had to respond to whatever Jesus was saying and whatever he was doing. It was response time. And then the second audience is us 2,000 years later. Well, now we're hearing about all these stories. We're reading about all these stories, reading about everything Jesus said, reading about everything Jesus did, and it is response time. How will you respond to what you hear and what you see of what went on? It's almost like a checkpoint of sorts. And the gospel writers will do this over and over and over again. All right, here, you know, here's three chapters of his actions and his words, and then boom, response time. What will you do with it? And then here's three more chapters, and look, he did this, and he walked on water, and he rose from the dead, and he healed this person, did this, and this is what he said. He said he was God, and then boom, response time. What will you do with this? As if the gospel writers were saying, you cannot come into association with this narrative of Jesus' life without it requiring a response out of you. This is so clearly not fiction that you read and go, what a nice story. No, this is something you read, and it's supposed to impact your life. You're supposed to respond. And so we're at one of those checkpoints today where a response is required. But what are some of the common responses that we've seen in Jesus or, or, or received, seen as it relates to Jesus? What were the responses like in the first century and how are those similar to responses that we have today? And is a response required of me? And if it is, how will I respond? And for that, we're going to be in the book of Mark. So open up your Bible right now, or Mark chapter 3. Response time. It's kind of a checkpoint in the text. Uh, response time. Mark chapter 3. Open up your iPhone. Get out, get out the app. Take notes. We put little note cards in your program so you can take notes with us. Uh, we do believe in a growth dynamic where you grow spiritually, where you're saying, I'm going to learn more about my faith as my brain increases, hopefully my heart increases towards God. That's one of the values we have around it. We take the Bible, put it up here. We want to learn from this thing, all right? So we want to be a part of this. We want to grow. We want to grow in every other way in life, right? We want to grow in our jobs. We want to grow in our, in our careers. We want to grow in our families. All those things, we expect growth. We're saying as a church, we expect to grow spiritually as well. So open up your Bible, follow along, and be attentive as we look at this. So the, the, the question of the day, three ways we could respond to the story of Jesus. What three ways could we respond to the story of Jesus? How do they respond three different ways in the, in, in the first century, and how can we respond accordingly? So three ways we could respond to the story of Jesus. The first one is this. Refuse to be convinced. Three ways we could possibly respond to the story of Jesus. The first one is that we can refuse to be convinced. I don't care what I hear. I don't care what it's said. I don't care how much the Bible talks about over and over again. I refuse to be convinced. That's option number one. Let's look at it. Uh, Mark chapter three, verse one. Another time uh, he went to the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand or a withered hand, maybe in your Bible, was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everybody. And then Jesus asked a question, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, 
to save a life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and the hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees, it's a religious leader, the religious establishment, went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might what? Kill Jesus. This is amazing. I mean, such the opposite of what you would expect to happen. Jesus, again, is in the synagogue. He's there doing his thing. We talked about this thing uh, several weeks ago. It's called freedom of the synagogue. If you were a traveling teacher and they knew you were a rabbi, hey, you want to say something? Jesus just gets up. He starts teaching. At that point, he notices a man with a shriveled hand, a withered hand. And, uh, and the Pharisees are going, oh, I hope he heals him. I hope he heals him. We want, that way we got him if he heals him. Right? He heals him. He does this big statement. And instead of saying, oh, my gosh. The person who's able to heal a man, not only of a shriveled hand, but a paralytic we've seen in in, in the book of Mark. We've seen a leper be healed. Surely we should listen to this guy and follow his words. And whatever he's saying from or about God, we should believe. Instead of all that, they decide we got to kill him. I mean, it's so ironic. He does this miraculous event that you you could not possibly do unless God was with you. And their response is, we need to kill him. So you talk about three ways you could respond. Number one, you could refuse to be convinced. Just refuse. No matter what's set before you, no matter what uh, information's there, how much proof is there, how much, how much you analyze, I just refuse to be convinced. So much so that I'm willing to try to set up Jesus so we can take him down. Now we've talked about this idea of, of legalism in the last couple of weeks, and this is what the religious leaders were all about. They had these extra rules extra rules that they would say, because you have the Bible and you listen to the Bible and, and, and its words, not only do I listen to the Bible, I do all these extra rules, and therefore I'm bigger and better than you. And that's what was going on. And legalists are always detectives. Legalists are always spies, because they're always looking for a way to one-up themselves, like one-upmanship. I'm better than you because I do this and you don't. But for me to find that out, I gotta be a spy and a detective, and an investigator. Now that gets a little uncomfortable because we know some people who are like that, who, who investigate everything, who are spies, who are detectives, almost like they're miniature Holy Spirits. It's, it's, it's the work of God to convict the heart, but they are God's gift, and so they're there to convict you, right? And so they go around looking for ways to tell you that you're not good enough, tell you that you're not godly enough, all those type of things. 1 Corinthians 13 Verse seven says, love hopes in all things. But legalists don't believe that. Love hopes in all things. In every situation I can find the positive spin because why? Because love hopes in all things. I'm not gonna assume the negative in you because love hopes in all things. Legalists say, or, 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 or these guys who say, I'm gonna be a detective, I'm gonna, no, 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 love doesn't hope in all things. Love is suspicious about all things. That's what they would say. That's what they espouse. And that's what they're doing to Jesus. How can we find a way to trap him so we can get him? We gotta put our detective's hat on, gotta put our mic, we're gonna sit there and just invest, find a way that we can get him. And so they very well may have planted this guy with a shriveled hand in the synagogue and say, okay, let's see if we can get him to heal on the Sabbath. If he does that, then we have it. All the while, never considering the ramifications that if he can heal a guy, that he must have some kind of connection with God. They're just completely blinded to that because they're refusing to believe. It's not a matter of can he heal the guy, it's if he'll heal the guy. 
So they know he can, because they've seen Marie do all these other things. We know he can do it, but will he do it? And will he do it on the Sabbath so we can get him? They're just trying to trap him the whole time, not considering what it would mean if he actually could heal the guy. And so they try to set him up. Uh, I, I told, we talked about the hedge of protection. 